Amen. What better way to transition into time of the word than seeing Jesus paid it all? What a full Sunday we've had. We've already gotten a couple of sermons uh, in our testimonies. And, and I trust that your hearts are full as we now turn to the word of God and turn to Romans chapter 4. Just sung song that highlights the great truths of the gospel, the things that we hold dear, the great truth that sin had left a crimson stain, but Christ has washed it white as snow. In Oak Park, brothers and sisters gathered here today, this is the gospel of which we are not to be ashamed of. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes because in this message, we find the truth that God's saving righteousness has come to sinners who place their trust in him. In Oak Park, we can never tire of this message, can we not? Never. We can never waver from the precious gift that is ours in Christ because he is all we have and he is the hope of the world. Let us think on these things as we turn now to Romans chapter 4, and I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In our journey through the book of Romans, Paul has been explaining and laying out to us our predicament, really the predicament that the whole world finds itself in. And he began in verse 18 of chapter 1, saying that the whole world has been enslaved to sin, that everyone is born broken, and that everyone is under the curse 
known as sin. And, and because we are under sin, that we are under the judgment of God, that the, the wrath of God that's being revealed from heaven is coming for humanity. However, with the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of, uh, of the Lord's Son, Jesus has become our substitute. As we've sung numerous times this morning, He has borne our penalty on the cross. Jesus paid it all. What did He pay? He paid our debt. He bore the wrath of God on the cross for sinners. Jesus paid it all. And beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul then shifts his focus from convincing us that we are sinners and that we are not righteous in our own selves to then showing us that God's gift of righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if we think of this good news in light of maybe the Old Testament, it may seem, however, that it's a drastically different message. The Old Testament was uh, focused on the law, and, 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 and some, as Paul is writing to here and, and, and talking about, have, have believed that righteousness comes through obedience to the law. And if you do what the Lord asks, then you will be declared righteous. And so now in chapter 4, Paul is turning to Abraham to say, no, 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 that's a wrong understanding of the Old Testament. It has never been by works. Works have never justified anyone before the eyes of God. And this is true even for Abraham, who was circumcised. And I said, what was the big deal of circumcision? He keeps talking about it. Because this was the work. This was the thing that, that, that a Jew, hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your debt can be paid through faith in Him alone, they would have said, well, well, then these Gentiles are coming to faith. If they're going to really be the people of God, they must be circumcised. Because if you're not circumcised, if you don't do that work, you will not be justified. Paul says that's not the gospel. And in fact, that's never been the gospel. That's never been God's way of saving humanity, is by works. And so we're going to turn here in chapter 4 to see that Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the, the father of the people of God, is exhibit A to show that the blessing of righteousness has always been through faith and not by works. And so we're going to focus here on verses 1 through 12. And, and what I want us to do this morning, I want us to savor the good news of the gospel. I want us to savor what does it really mean when we say that it is by faith and faith alone that I am justified. That I come to the Lord Jesus and he accepts me on the fact that I have trusted in his son. Oh, and what freedom and what good news that is. I want us to savor this morning. And I want us to see that as he says at the end of verse 12, those who walk in the footsteps of faith, that those who do so, those who walk by faith, they are truly the ones who receive the blessing of righteousness. Paul begins here in verse 1, and he, he starts with the questions. He, he says, well, what shall we say was gained by Abraham? 
He's turning here to ask, how did Abraham receive the blessing of righteousness? That's what he's talking about. What, what, what did Abraham gain? And anyone who was in his audience, and particularly a Jewish audience, would say, well, Abraham gained righteousness. He obtained it. Righteousness meaning the forgiveness of sins, acceptance before God. And this question that Paul asks really frames out all of chapter 4, and we're going to look at this over two weeks. And what Paul wants to show us is that when we consider Abraham and we go back to the Scriptures and we look at it and we, we take it for what God says, we will see that Abraham gained righteousness by faith and not by works. Paul does so by first addressing this issue of boasting. We saw this a couple of Sundays ago, or last Sunday, in chapter 3, verse 27, that if salvation is by works, then we have grounds for boasting. And so he picks up that theme here, and he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he, he's just applying the truths we saw last week now to Abraham, he has something to boast about. And from a human perspective, he would have. I mean, Abraham could boast in his own righteousness. After all, he, he took care of his family very well. If, you, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, Abraham was a man of, of great wealth and resources. He took in his brother-in-law Lot and his family, and he cared for them and provided them, and he led them. He'd protect them. When, when Lot would get in trouble, what would Abraham do? Hey, he'd rally the troops. He'd go rescue him. He'd risk his own life for his brother-in-law Lot. He cared for his family. He did what God told him to do. Like, go. Where? Just go. All right, I'll do it. Honey, we're going. Sarah's in the nursery today, so I can't pick on her. <laughs> when he's told to be circumcised, all right, I'll do it. You know what that entails? That takes some courage. Abraham was even willing to sacrifice his own son. God says, Isaac's going to be the sacrifice, and he takes his own son. And you know the story if you've grown up in church right before he sacrificed his son, the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, now I know that you trust. Well, thinking on these things, the, the Jewish literature outside of the scriptures, what we know of the Old Testament, often presents Abraham's faithfulness, and I want you to hear that, that subtlety, not his faith, but his faithfulness, as the grounds by which he was acceptable to God. One book called Jubilees says this about Abraham. For Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. That was kind of the, the view of Abraham. Abraham was righteous. He did everything perfect and therefore that's why he was righteous. And so the legacy was that he was justified by works. Well, Paul says he may have grounds for boasting in his righteousness, but look at the end of verse 2. But not before God he doesn't. 
Oh, you may think that Abraham's righteous, that the things that he did would have been things he could boast in, and those were the grounds of his righteousness, but that is not the case. Abraham, though the father of the Jewish nation and the recipients of the, uh, the recipient of the promises of God, was not righteous compared to the righteousness of God. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Oh, when we compare ourselves, we might be able to say, oh yeah, that guy's righteous, that guy's holy. But the whole point that Paul has been trying to expound through the gospel that he has received through the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he is passing down to the church in Rome, is he says, there is a higher standard than human righteousness. It's God's righteousness, and not even Abraham was righteous before him. Possibly Paul here had in mind many of the failures of Abraham spoken of in Genesis. Twice Abraham lied that Sarah was his wife, or he said that she's my sister, right? And it's kind of a white lie. But here's what Abraham would do. He'd enter, say, Egypt and the Pharaoh at that time, and he says, oh no, honey, you're, you're pretty attractive. He's going to want you, and he's going to kill me, so let's just say you're available, I mean, that's essentially what he's doing. Let's just tell him you're available. You're my sister, and I'll live. Sound good? Sounds like a really selfish plan to me. Um, I'm going to just let you be the, the Pharaoh's woman. Well, then, we know how that story comes. comes out that, actually, she's his wife. And, 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 and why have you done this to me? Why haven't you been truthful? And then he leaves and Everything turns out all right, and he just does it again um, with Abimelech. And, and he says, well, he's going to want you, so you're my sister. He lies again, and he, he puts his wife in danger to protect himself. Pretty selfish guy, actually. Since he and his wife could not have children, this was their idea. Why don't you go marry my servant Hagar? Hagar. Not Sammy Hagar. Hagar. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Hagar. And have children with her. So now he's got two wives. He's living in sexual immorality. And then when his first wife gets jealous and says, you need to send that woman away. Instead of doing the right thing and protecting her, he says, do what she says. Sorry, you're on your own. These are just a few examples of righteous Abraham. And that's only what we've got written down for us, right? Therefore, maybe he was perfect in the eyes of other men, maybe. But he was not righteous before God. And looking at verse 4, Paul gives another reason why the blessing of righteousness cannot come through works. He says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. This is what Paul wants to say. The blessing of righteousness, of justification, the forgiveness of sins, cannot come through works. He says, this wasn't true of Abraham. And he goes, and if it was by works, then it would no longer be a gift. It would be based on what one is doing do 
And so what is he saying here? He's saying, all right, let's look at Abraham. If it was based on works, then what is Abraham due for his lying and his sexual immorality? Later, he's going to say the wages of sin. Your paycheck for sin is death. If it's based on works, Abraham is damned. That's what he's saying. The paycheck for his life would have been death. So the point being, righteousness cannot be obtained through works. It wasn't true for Abraham, and it won't be true for anybody else. And so on the contrary, the blessing of righteousness actually comes through faith, Paul wants us to see. Look look in verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? That is where we must always go, isn't it? You may have this perception of how one becomes a Christian or how one is acceptable before God, but it really doesn't matter what we think. It matters what does the Scripture say, does it not? And so tradition has come down, and I just read to you one story. You remember I I told this a couple of weeks ago. There was even a tradition that Abraham would be at the gates of Sheol, the gate of death, checking to make sure if anyone was uh, circumcised that they didn't go to hell. That was some of the crazy traditions that began to be made to try to rationalize work salvation. Try to rationalize that if you've done these things, you're good. But Paul wants us to see the Scripture teaches that it's by faith and not by work. So, so what does the Scripture say? Paul cites Genesis 15, 6. He goes back and he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What we see here is that Abraham, the grounds of his righteousness, the basis by which he was accepted before God was his belief, was his faith in God. Again, Paul asserts in in verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Notice, the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that's what Abraham believed about himself. Abraham believed that he was ungodly, and he believed on the one who would justify him. And so when we're talking about the nature of faith, we're talking about belief in the gospel. It's a belief of understanding what has been laid out for us since chapter 1, verse 18. That no one is righteous, no one seeks for God. That we have all turned aside, gone our own way. That we are all sold under sin. That we are not righteous in and of ourselves. That is what Abraham believed, and that is how anybody who has ever been saved has believed. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So what's surprising here is that when we think of righteousness, we typically think of things that someone does, right? That's a righteous thing to do, we even would say. But here... Righteousness depends on what one believes. And better yet, on whom one believes. 
And this is not only true of Abraham, but it's also true of David. Notice in verse 6, just as David also speaks. And so Paul is just pulling out every punch. If you were a Jew in this time, you would have looked to Abraham and then David. And they would have said, were these men not justified based on their works? David, a man after God's own heart, someone might say. Yet David, we know his story, he was an adulterer, wasn't he? He saw a woman who was not his wife, and he says, I want her. And premeditated, went and took advantage, and he got that woman. And you know what he did to cover his sin? He murdered her husband. Later, we read of David getting angry at God for killing Uzzah, who touched the ark with his hand and was struck down. We look at David's family. His kids are a mess. And you know why they're a mess? Because they're just like him. Absalom wants his sister like David wanted Bathsheba, and he rapes her. And so there are all these examples in Scripture. David, David was not righteous. Yet, probably David recalls these things as he pens Psalm 32 that Paul cites for us. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Lord, I tried to cover my sin by covering my tracks. And you were gracious to me because you exposed my sin. And that is where I found the favor of the Lord. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Works righteousness doesn't say these things. Oh, how blessed it is that you have provided an avenue for me to be justified before you. I am so blessed. Oh, how wonderful it is. I'm not as bad as those people. I did this. I did that. You provided the means for me to do this. That's not what Abraham said, and that's not what David said. No, they saw themselves as lawless, as sinners, as ungodly. And until people come to realize this truth, they won't understand justification by faith alone. It's really not an option. Those who insist on righteousness by works don't understand. It's not an option. Like, works aren't available to you. It's like dipping some Sinai and, and dropping it into your, your pure water filter. You're never going to drink that. It doesn't matter how much you try to filter it out. You know death is in it. And when we understand the gospel, we understand that Jesus came to die for sinners once and for all, knowing that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins, that works done in our righteousness are like filthy rags. They could never amount to being acceptable to God. And so it is a foolish endeavor to pursue it that way. And brothers and sisters, I know some of you, I know my own heart, we often forget that. We judge our acceptance based on how well we think we're doing. 
And this isn't to give us a license to sin. Paul's going to say this in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We died to sin. How could I ever want to go back to that? He freed me. But I know temptation falls within us and we begin to think, well, I've sinned today. The Lord must no longer be pleased with me. He must not love me. And I want you to see that David was justified long before he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you know what? And he was justified still on that day. It's not an excuse for a sin, and God didn't let him get off the hook for a sin. But he was justified, and he can cry out, and he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Lord, you don't count my sin against me, which says, I am a sinner. You just don't treat me that way. And what Paul is trying to say is that this was a mystery hidden in the Old Testament, but now revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The reason Abraham could stand righteous before God, the reason David could stand righteous before God, is the same reason you and I can stand righteous before God. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners. This is how God is able to justify the ungodly. So, brothers and sisters, looking at Abraham and David just as examples should be actually incredibly comforting to you. Both of these men did what was ungodly. I mean, ungodly things in their life. Yet their sins were not counted against them because they, they believed. Kind of makes me think about in the Gospels where, where a man says, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus says, the faith, small as a mustard seed, that faith will grow. Christ is just saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. As you heard in the testimony today, I'm glad that illustration worked, Hope, wherever you are. Just stop fighting, trying to do it yourself, because you'll never... You'll never find what you're striving after until you say, Jesus, you've paid it all. This means that once God declared them and us as righteous, our status before him never changes, even after we fall into temptation and sin. So therefore, when you and I sin, when we commit lawlessness, we're not less acceptable to God. And the inverse of that truth is, is true as well. When you're just doing everything awesome, you had your quiet time that morning, you spent a good amount of time in prayer, you shared the gospel that day, the Lord isn't saying, you know what, you're more righteous today than you were yesterday. I find you more acceptable. He doesn't do that. See, the truth of the gospel is that when we come to Christ, when we trust him, we've died to ourselves, and our lives are hidden in Christ. And this is why works righteousness doesn't work, because it fails to understand that apart from Christ, you're also hidden in the life of someone else. You're hidden in Adam, the first man. All apart from Christ are in Adam. In some spiritual manner, I don't have time to unpack all that today, we are united to Adam. 
And he was infected with sin, the curse, and it has passed down to every human being who's ever, ever been born. It's one reason why Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and he was not born and descendant to a physical man because sin passed down through the line of the man. He's the second Adam. And so no matter what you do, as long as you're in Adam, well, you're still in Adam. And death reigns. That's why we must die to ourselves. And now, by faith, we are brought in union with Christ. And so when God sees a Christian, he doesn't see, doesn't mean he doesn't know, but he chooses, as David said, to not count your sins against you because he counted them against Christ. And so when he sees you, he sees his son. And so you are, your status is always the same. It doesn't fluctuate. That's what the gospel says. That's why it's by faith. So this blessing of righteousness, it does not come by works, but rather comes by faith. And because it comes by faith, it's available to all who walk by faith. This is what he gets to in verse 9. And again, this are similar truths as what we saw in chapter 3, but Paul asks another question. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? This is a way to say, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the Gentiles? Well, he's already answered this question in chapter 3, in verse 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's also the God of the Gentiles. And what Paul wants to do is he wants to explore the truth of the gospel in light of circumcision under the old covenant. And so I want us to kind of explore this a little bit more by going all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. So this is the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 17. And this is where God makes his covenant with Abraham. And as we look at this, you're going you're gonna to see where maybe someone who's hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and is under the old covenant would have some objections, and Paul's going to address these. Genesis chapter 17, and, and begin with me in verse 9, and I'm going to jump around, but verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall, circumcise, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Then jump down to verse 14. So you must be circumcised, Abraham, and all your children and the nation that I'm going to build from you, I want them to bear this sign of circumcision. Verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. So notice there's a clear stipulation here. Circumcision's required for Abraham, isn't he? Maybe 
in the synagogue when Paul would go in and he would preach. He'd say, justification is by faith alone. And you God-fearers who, haven't, who are coming and you're wanting to be close, these would be Gentiles who don't want to be circumcised. It's kind of understandable. They, he says, they come, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you can come as you are. No, 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 they can't. Yes, they can. They're children of Abraham by faith. Oh, no. Children of Abraham must be circumcised because anyone who is not, they'll be cut off from the people of God. This would have caused some major trouble for Paul. And so back in Romans, this is why he raises that question. So is this blessing then only for the circumcised? And if it's not, how do you get around that, Paul? Well, Paul's answer is that Abraham was counted righteous when he believed. Look at what he says at the end of verse 9. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6 again. And this is important because Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17, where the command to be circumcised is brought. Abraham was justified much earlier than Genesis 17. He was justified when? Before he received the sign of circumcision. Okay, then why was circumcision necessary? The the response would be, well, Paul says, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision... That's a key word that we want to hone in on. As a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. What is Paul saying? Circumcision, as we read in Genesis 17, was a sign. It was a seal. It was was an expression of the faith he already had. In a very analogous way, This is what we've just seen in baptism this morning. Are they justified? Were were Tyler and Hope justified when they came up out of the water? Buried with Christ, risen to newness of life. Well, some people teach that that's what happens there. They say baptism is necessary for salvation. That's one of the reasons infant baptism came in to the church. Okay, if we can get it as early as we can, and that's what regenerates... Therefore, we can do that, and they'll be washed of their sins, and then they can be on their path. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Well, circumcision was a sign. In the same way, baptism is a sign. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. And as we heard in our testimonies, those, those came earlier. And it doesn't matter if it was years earlier or a day earlier, or hours earlier. It was earlier. And baptism is, in the new covenant, the sign of the covenant. It's a picture. It's the same way your, your wedding ring, if you're married, when you put it on, that's not when you were married. It's just a sign. And when I take it off, oh, I'm not unmarried, right? It's a sign of what? A covenant. And it's been a tragedy that, that misunderstanding like this has inverted the signs 
and made them the grounds of justification. It's happened with the Lord's Supper as well. Take the Lord's Supper, and that's how you gain righteousness. And you keep taking it, and then you can conquer your sins that way. No, Lord's Supper is just the ongoing sign of an inward reality that happened whenever you were born again. And so what we see here in Paul's argument is a rightful role for works and obedience. Okay? What Paul says about circumcision, we've seen is analogous to, to what we see in baptism. So are these commands optional? No, they're not optional. But neither are they the grounds of your justification, we're, we're seeing. So what, what, what use are these things then? Well, as expressions of our faith, they're done out of gratitude and a desire to follow our Lord. Notice with Abraham, it was a sign and seal of the faith he had while he was still uncircumcised. And really, this is the same thing true with when, when he was going to go and sacrifice Isaac. It was just an expression of the trust that he already had. And the same thing we're going to see later next week is we're going to see that the promise that came to Abraham and to Sarah is that you're going to have a child. And guess what? They were in their 90s. And you know what both of them did at some point? They laughed it off. Yeah, right. But yet, they still trusted. They still trusted. And their trust, their faith expresses itself. And so if you look at it this way, we're going, the train's going this way, faith is the grounds of your justification, and out of faith comes your obedience, your thankfulness, your worship, your love. It's the fruit that Jesus says. Well, a bad tree can't produce good fruit, but a good tree, if it's alive, fruit starts popping out of it, okay? Well, baptism's just the first Sign of obedience saying, I, I want to put on the team jersey. I'm letting everybody know the, the faith in which I have. It's not the grounds of my salvation. It's the expression of the salvation that has already been given to me. That's what the signs are. That's what works. That's what they're, that, that role they play. And so this is what Jesus says in John 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then, just a few verses later, he, he says it this way. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus never says, keep my commandments and then I'll love you. That's what works righteousness says. And that's the lie that many of us sometimes struggle with, isn't it? God must not love me because I have done a horrendous thing. Or I continue to struggle with this sin. And works righteousness says... Just try harder. Just keep doing it. Just keep coming to church. Keep taking the Lord's Supper. Keep doing these things. Keep reading your Bible. And you know that never works. That's never bringing relief. The only relief can come when we sing, Jesus paid it all. And out of that, I want to know more about that truth. And therefore, I go to the Word. I want to hear more of that. And I want to be with more people. And I want to hear those stories. Therefore, I want to be with God's people. That's a totally different motivation than the, I go to church so that I will be acceptable. So coming back to our text in Romans 4, 
Paul goes on. Okay, he received a sign. It was, it was just a sign. It was not the grounds of his justification. Well, why? The purpose here is in the middle of verse 11. The purpose of, of basically the story of Abraham was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Here's what Paul is saying. The gospel has already been in the Old Testament in kind of a seed form. It's been there all along. And if you look closely in the stories, the gospel of faith has been there. And notice that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised so that when the true child of Abraham came, Jesus Christ, that message would be the same. It would just be the fulfillment. And so that all people everywhere could be saved having the same faith that Abraham had. And so in reality, Abraham's kind of like a prototype of the Christian all the way back in the very first book of the Bible. Book of Hebrews does a very similar thing. In Hebrews chapter 11, those who walked by what? Faith goes through all these heroes of the Old Testament. It's faith, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. And they did not obtain the promises, but they look forward to the day and those promises will be attained. And we are in the same line as they are, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. And so here what we're seeing, the purpose that God had in Abraham in that whole story was to be given to us here now goodness four, six, eight thousand years later. And Paul's reiterating this two thousand years earlier than us. And so Paul states that the purpose of Genesis 15 and 17 was to make Abraham the father of all people, which was the promise in the covenant. I'll make you the father of many nations. He says, I'm going to give you a land, a king's going to come from you. And all the world is going to be blessed through you. How does that happen? Paul's saying it happens through Jesus Christ. And so Gentiles, those who believe without being circumcised, become children of Abraham. And Jews, look at verse 12. What about them? They're not left behind. And to make him the father of the circumcised. But notice what he says. Who are not merely circumcised. If you just do the work, but you don't have the faith of Abraham, well, then your circumcision's nothing. In other words, he says he's the father of Jews as well, but only the Jews who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust him. God's purpose was to bless the whole world through Abraham. That was God's purpose. And the fulfillment of this promise has come through the true child of Abraham, Jesus. And through faith in Christ, we become children of Abraham. And get this, brothers and sisters. All those promises in the Old Testament of a land, of kings and nations, of blessing upon the whole earth, those promises are now our promises. Those promises are your promises if you've trusted Christ. 
This is why Jesus, John chapter 8, gets in this debate with the Pharisees. We're children of Abraham. He says, oh, if you were, you would believe what Abraham believed. And they are just, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, I tell you what, I can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. You know who the rocks are? You and me with hard heart of stone. And he changed those rocks just like he changed those, uh, those stone water jugs at the Wayne and Canning who are just pure water, and he changed it into new wine. You need regeneration. Rocks can't make themselves children of Abraham. They can do whatever they want, but they're still rocks. You need the miracle of the new birth. So this is where we're going to pick up next Sunday. Just look here in verse 13. This is a sneak peek. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring was that he would be heir of the world, and it did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. We're going to look at this promise. Another reason works righteousness does not avail is because the promise can't come through works. Never come through it, and it can only be received by faith. And brothers and sisters, there's a glorious good news. Not only what we're going to find, have our sins been forgiven. Kind of the, the we've been, our, our, our slate has been washed clean. But on the positive side, we've been given an inheritance. We've been adopted into a family. And because we bear a new name, the name of Jesus Christ, we have all that is his. That's what we're going to see next Sunday, okay? And I hope you'll be here. Let's pray. Lord, these are glorious truths for those of us who realize the depths of our sin. Yes, when we look at our sin, it is a hopeless cause. It's a hopeless case. But Lord, hope came through you. You have brought us hope. You are our hope. You've brought us peace. You've reconciled us through the death on the cross. And you rose again on the third day defeating Satan's sin and death for us. Lord, we know that our works will never avail to righteousness. That's why we trust in the one who did the work for us. And Lord, as we now sing one closing song, Lord, I pray that that is the expression of our heart out of love and gratitude that you have sought us and you have saved us. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and let's sing.